politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Miniman standing at the ready to fight the issues that matter and the way they matter at the time they matter. If that is your goal, well, we are here to deliver the only delivery service for substance in this wretched business called politics. Daniel Horowitz back here today for Friday, the end of the week. And the end of the week could not come soon, sooner enough. Um, I'm exhausted. And the reason why I'm exhausted is not just because this was a terrible week where we got crushed on every major issue that mattered and we had the Republican Party, Uniparty, destroy our leverage. But it's the fact that the only thing worse than the, the Uniparty screwing us is them screwing us and nobody even caring or knowing about it. Yesterday was a surreal date. June 1st, 2023. Mark that date. Because that is a date that perfectly exemplifies why we are where we are, but why it doesn't have to be that way. And that, at its core, is what I'm fighting for. I want to leave nothing on the table to know that I did everything I could, gave policy ideas, gave strategy of advice, the people willing to listen, this is what we could be doing. It didn't have to be this way. So the big focus yesterday, and it's going to spill over to today's news cycle, of 95% of conservative gum flappers that flap their gums for, for a living is that Joe Biden fell at one of his commencement speeches. Ha ha ha, he's pathetic, it's embarrassing. And obviously, yeah, it is embarrassing the fact that we have a president like that. I'm not denying that. But here's the irony. That wasn't the biggest story of the day that's going to matter. The biggest story of the day, there's really two of them that are pretty equal. But I'll start with the lesser one. Republicans consummated the sellout. Last night, the McCarthy deal passed the Senate with all but six Democrat votes. Meaning everyone but six Democrats, and even they weren't that mad about it. But yet Republicans voted against it 32 to 17. Even in the liberal GOP Senate. That is how pathetic it was. Yet they were able to get it through the front door with all this supposed conservative infrastructure and talk show hosts and everything. They were able to get that through the front door. Something that went backwards. That had to pass with almost unanimous Democrat support. But that leads me to the even bigger important story, because that had to get through a certain individual. There's one man that, whether you like it or not, perception's reality, completely defines not just the Republican Party, not just the right in America, but the hard right, America first. And we're not just going to be like those rhino, globalist, you know, typical GOP sellouts, but we're going to fight, fight, fight. We're going to own the Democrats. We're going to drink liberal tears. And that is Donald J. Trump. Or as we say, Meta Trump. And of course, as we talked about yesterday, not he, he refused to say a word. He was like, yeah, yeah, it is what it is. Refused to make a phone call because he actually supports it. And it was his hand-picked person his hand-picked person for speaker that delivered this. He would not have been speaker without Trump. We're going to have Chip Roy on to dis discuss that. The difference between 
what we were trying to hammer out versus the little bit that we had to stop shy of that. It's like the first battle of Manassas where the Confederates won and Stonewall Jackson wanted to just go for the glory. March on Washington. That's kind of where we were until Trump came in and blunted our momentum. That's why we are where we are. But then that leads me to the big story of the day. Where a woman in Iowa spoke out at a Trump rally and said to him, Mr. President, we have lost people because you supported the jab. We have lost so many people. We cannot even begin to imagine as we discover the breadth and depth of the fetal maternal issues with this shot. We're talking about June 1st, 2023. Two and a half years into this vaccine. And he's like, goes out and praises it. I was able to do something that nobody else could have done. And there's a big portion of the country that thinks the jab was a great thing. Yeah, it's not our portion of the country. And you look at him, how is that not disqualifying? How is that not disqualifying? We're not talking about what you thought then. And again, I I say this all the time, I don't even blame him for warp speed at the time, not knowing that they were doing this highly technical thing. But it's that two and a half years later, what that tells you is, listen to yesterday's show, this is the biggest life issue of our time. We have a torrent of existing vaccines that are a problem. We have a torrent of vaccines in the pipeline. And we need an advocate, certainly to to fight back against the mandates, but the liability and all these issues. He will never, ever, ever, ever be a voice for that. This is the difference between getting a Joe Latipo as HHS secretary versus a Scott Gottlieb type of guy who, you know, obviously Trump... uh, nominated he was his fda administrator how is that not disqualifying that is disgusting to sit and deny that that is absolutely disgusting but then again then again it's been all over the place he supported mccarthy supported the debt ceiling supported disney Attacks DeSantis for being mean to the media. I don't know if you saw this, all the Trump people. So an AP reporter, while DeSantis is fielding questions from people, interrupts him and says, won't you take questions? He's like, get out of here. I'm sitting and taking questions. And and everyone's like, he's so rude to the media because he actually believes in what he says. Every Republican is like, "Ah, the media is terrible. But then they go and plant stories with them, have relationships with them, sometimes literally. And that's the Trump crowd. He has this psychotic obsession with DeSantis' name, mannerisms. It's like really gay. He was pimping ethanol. And not to mention him obviously bashing not just federal, but a state-based red state heartbeat law. And literally holding a celebration with Bruce Jenner and the biggest degenerates in the world celebrating the man- Biden's mandate of gay marriage on the red states at at Mar-a-Lago. I don't understand 
So everyone's like, ha, 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 Joe Biden. The laugh is on us. Joe Biden's legacy is embodied not just through the Uniparty Republican Party, but through the greatest, most truculent, fearsome Republican of all time, Mitha Trump. And no matter what this man does, it will not draw ire. It will not draw ire from any of these guys. And I'm not just talking about, you know who I'm talking about, these guys on the you know, conservative gun-flapping circuit that themselves were silent on the vaccine. But I'm talking about the ones that genuinely are kind of saying what we're saying, and they claim to be upset about it. They won't say a word about him. They won't say, hey, Trump, you got to recognize vaccine injury. You got to do something about that. That in itself is so destructive. You will never end the uniparty. You know, a lot of people are like, well, Daniel, we only have the House. We couldn't do much. Again, they forget when they had all three branches and then two branches for the latter two years, every single budget bill, farm bill, debt ceiling bill signed by Trump had a majority Democrat support, had more Democrat support than Republican support, often unanimous, near unanimous. And then he continued that legacy beyond his presidency by anointing Frank Luntz's uh, roommate to be speaker when we had the most successful fight ever. Notice when the, the issue that matters in the way it matters at the time that matters, Trump and his minions screw us on the McCarthy fight, on the debt ceiling fight, nothing. Oh, but, but Biden fell. The left is on us. You're right, Biden is a carcass. You're right, it's, it's pathetic and appalling that he could be president. But you want to know why he is? Because of your suck piece of crap. That's why. And what does it say that he is winning on policy. He's like, oh, he can't even stand up. Yeah. And he still crushed Trump's speaker in negotiations. Although, to be fair, he didn't really crush him because McCarthy was willing to do that because it wasn't by accident. It was done on purpose. They don't share our values. Can you imagine that? All but six Senate Democrats supported that. That is the news of the day. Every one of my colleagues will not give you these, these news stories. It is surreal what is happening. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. Now, if we continue with Biden or Trump, we will have another pandemic. We will have a shortage. And he will not do anything about it because we're all about statements and not results. So what result do we have from... And, and this is a legacy of Trump's presidency. We have a shortage in three quarters of the most essential drugs. Okay? That's why I recommend JaceMedical.com. Not only do, do they have their Jace case, but now they have a product where it's called Jace Daily. Prescription supply service that allows you to get up to 12-month backup supply a lot of people have mental health medications, diabetes, heart, blood pressure, you name it. You better make sure you have a backup. Cindy, one of our listeners, uh, emailed me, said it was extremely easy. She got five prescriptions from them for a total of 256 bucks. You have that peace of mind gained by having this kind of long-term supply. Believe me, we're going to need it with uh, with the Uniparty. Um, for the, for your sake and your family's sake, you need to be prepared. Go to jacemedical.com, enter code REVIEW at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code REVIEW at jasemedical.com. 
So, folks, I don't understand how this is not disqualifying for Trump. I don't understand it. You tell me. And notice he's been absent in the other big issue, which is the transgender jihad. He's been very quiet on it. And I, again, we know why. He literally has Bruce Jenner and Rick Grinnell running the show there. Trump turns winning issues into losing issues. We are at a pivotal moment in, the, in, this, in this battle. This is the first time that we have turned the corner. We're winning on these boycotts. The public polling, by the way, Rasmussen has here, um, they ask uh, you know, on, on ending castration for minors. Okay? Do you support ending castration on minors? And only 35% of Democrats oppose laws banning castration. 56% of Democrat voters support it. See, I'm sick of Republicans with these low expectations. Daniel, this is all we can get. The public was on their side with the debt ceiling. And by the way, if they had a brinkmanship, let's say, for example, on funding um, Department of Education uh, and, and other areas of government HHS that fund sex change operations, you would have a government shutdown fight. You're shutting down the government to cut people's balls off. You could totally win that. But we will never win anything. I have a column out today. I go through all the budget bills. When Republicans had one branch, two branches, three branches. Because you might say sometimes you have actually more leverage when they have the presidency, but you have the House because you could block, but you don't have to own like own it in terms of governing. You don't have to govern. You know They make excuses. Well, when we have all three branches, but we don't have 60 seats, they will never get 60 seats. Newsflash. Even the best case scenario in 2025, you will never get 60 seats in the Senate. What are you going to do about that? Results outcomes we we could laugh about biden all we want but the laugh is not on him the laugh is on us he had the most successful presidency for the left even more than than obama because again it's not about him because there's a lot of profundity to this whole di- like dynamic between trump and biden Trump is the opposite of biden he's very energetic for his age i'll give him that very energetic for his age although he does seem to be turning a little bit into John Fetterman. But um, yeah, vibrant, charismatic. Biden is a carcass. Yet the Democrats' most successful run at governance is with the carcass because they don't need a leader. They have a movement. They have fundraisers. They have donors. They have think tanks. They have you know, operatives. They have the policy people. They have the legal people. They have their advocates. They don't blink. They don't hesitate. They get results. So you could laugh about him falling all you want. The laugh is on us. He's winning both electorally and and policy-wise. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, I mean, I I could have, um, you know, make make a million to five million to $10 million a year off of having a, a, a talk show and showing different angles of Biden falling. Ha, ha, ha. So, you know, my, my clever hot take the 50th time you hear it, but what are you going to do about it, buddy? This week with this debt ceiling, that was a seminal moment. That was a leverage point that you rarely have. 
and we were undermined by the Uniparty, but most embodied in Trump. At some point, someone needs to say the emperor is wearing no clothes. He has stumbled a lot more than Joe Biden. I'm sick of it. And there's also another important point to this debt ceiling business. And that is, you will never win anything without a brinkmanship. Okay, we've said this very often. Aside from the once-a-year budget reconciliation, where you could pass something with 51 votes in the Senate, you say, I want to end birthright citizenship for illegals. I want to do this. I want to, you know, uh, limit legal immigration. I want to cut off all, you know, the homosexual agenda in the federal budget. I want to go and end liability for vaccines. Okay? The bottom line is, even if all the Republicans are amazing, which they're not, of course, you're not going to have the votes even if you win all three branches. Not through the front door. It will take a tenacious leader who understands policy, leverage, could articulate it without drama on himself, but a lot of drama on the issue, and power through it, power through a moment of leverage that's going to take courage because you might have to suffer some disruption. See, right now, we're the ones that have to disrupt. The system runs very efficiently. The stock market, the Federal Reserve, you have to be willing to have a tumultuous time to engage in a cultural war. Ron DeSantis said something very profound when he was in Iowa. It's about a minute clip here, but there's one portion I want I want you guys to listen carefully. Take a listen here to, to DeSantis. We will reverse Biden policies that have harmed our economy, and we'll build an economy where working Americans can achieve a good standard of living. Small business, not big business, needs to be the focus of our economy. COVID lockdown policies help the large corporations, and they hurt the mom and pops. The large businesses are bigger than they were prior to COVID. We also cannot allow the quest for short-term profit to trump the long-term national interests like our elites have done with the Chinese Communist Party for more than a generation. We need to rebuild critical infrastructure and manufacturing capability in this country. We cannot be dependent on China for critical goods and materials. So, folks, did you hear that? So one thing, obviously, is small business over big business. That's going to be his focus. But we cannot allow the quest for short-term profit to trump the long-term national interest. That's a very profound statement because that is why Republicans never delivered and Trump's the same way. He, he panics, panics from... The short-term problems, all oh, the stock market, all this. And, and that's why he hit him on, like, like look, look you're, you're going to lose jobs with this war on the training stuff. But the reality is, if you really are going to fight the culture, you have to be willing to look at the long game. That is, that is something that we have yet to find a leader, until now, willing to demonstrate that. Because it's always, we can't have a government shutdown. Oh my gosh, there's a risk of default. There's a risk of this. 
Nobody is willing to fight through that. Because nobody cares about results. When, you, when, when your focus is only outcomes and results, you don't look at the next step in front of you. You look at the end game. It's funny. We were sold on the fact that Trump wasn't just a checkers player. He was a three-dimensional chess player. And of course, he's the ultimate checkers player, if even that. It's literally what's in front of him. It is totally, totally pathetic. Now, there's just one other point I want to mention on the vaccine stuff. The Trump people are playing clips of DeSantis praising the vaccine in the first few months of the rollout. So, you know, it mainly rolled out at the beginning of January 2021. They're comparing that to the fact that at the end of 2021, he got in Latipo and they started putting out warnings on the vaccine. They stopped all promotion of it and then all 2022 holding it accountable. Still the only state in the country to do that. Not just three minutes before he ran for president, but now for, what is it, a year and eight months worth he's been doing this. Comparing that to Trump to this day refusing to even recognize the degree of injury even the Democrats and the FDA recognizes, the CDC. It's pathetic. The bottom line is, there was no political leg to stand on in January. I myself would have done it. And mind you, he actually was suspicious of mRNA, which is why he 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 played up the J- Johnson & Johnson, which is what I think he got. Um, now, that turned out to be crap, too. But he was suspicious enough about mRNA. But unless you were Dr. Lynn Finn or Dr. Merrill Nass, like a very small group of people that followed the clinical trials, you did not know that. I mean, even Peter McCullough and certainly Malone, Malone himself got it for those first few months. I myself didn't start getting into this until late March. Yeah, and, and he's the governor of the third largest state. You have to understand. Now everyone's a hero, and you know masks are stupid, lockdowns are stupid. So we're you know mandates are horrible. So and we're like that's not good enough. You have to actually inveigh against the safety of the vaccine itself. But back then, you have to understand. January 2021, we were in the throes of of the not just the mask, but even the lockdown type of stuff that looked to be almost indefinite. And DeSantis was getting hammered. That was the DeSantis stuff. Um, he was getting crushed because people come down to Florida from all over in the winter. Um, the White House was pressuring the hell out of him in the final days, like January 10th, January 13th of his administration when his life was on the line. So you have to understand vaccines were viewed as a way out. It was our biggest strength. Now, he never patronize people and it's like you're killing people if you don't get it like some other governors but he made it available he was actually getting hit on the fact that he only made it available then for seniors he's like let's focus on seniors that was a smart move you know relative to what we knew at the time he was getting hammered on that he had no leg to stand on that i'm gonna not do any mitigation for covid and not only that i'm i'm, I'm gonna chuck the vaccines we didn't have the info on that There is no person that did that because there's no person that did what he did even the last year and a half. That is not a fair standard. That's the reality. People forget. You go back to January 2021, the polling on masking, even among Republicans, was pathetic. I've seen polling on that that was shown to me by candidates. It was like every Democrat, supermajority of independents, and depending on the issue, either half and half among Republicans, sometimes a majority of Republicans, 
DeSantis' approval took a huge hit at that time. He recovered because he was willing to see it through. But that part of the problem was because of what Trump did with the way he handled lockdowns and the whole culture, he had no leg to stand on. So DeSantis' point was, look, this is great. We have vaccines. Now there's no reason to do lockdowns. Now, obviously, now if you're saying lockdowns are bad, vaccines are great is, is, is a problem. But back then... Remember, he was the first one to go against masks. We wanted him to do it even earlier, but he was way ahead. Even to this day, only a few governors have said it's stupid. Most of them still have not repudiated it. You know, it's over with for now. But, you know, to turn to those college students and say, take, take, take off those stupid masks, it's theater. And he did battle with the businesses. He did battle with the localities. Once he got his footing, when, when it was clear what was going on and he could articulate it, whereas these other governors, like, you know, everyone plays up Kim Reynolds from Iowa, but the reality is, yes, she never did a state, official state stay at home, but DeSantis's was no different. He had the pressure of having everyone come down for spring break, third largest state. You know, Iowa, it, it didn't even show up by then. Nothing in his order materially changed anything. He exempted churches and everything. Um, the problem in every other state, I think there were eight states or something, red states that didn't have an official state-owned order. The problem is that it was meaningless because any city with more than three people in it had all the restrictions and all the businesses did. Whereas DeSantis, once he recovered... He went to battle with them. Whereas Kim Reynolds, I hate to say it, she was dead silent. And Christy Nome, she literally primaried. I know the guys, I'm friends with them, like John Hansen, um, a lot of the Freedom Caucus guys there. She put out primary challenges to those that try to um, end mandate, ban the localities and the businesses from mask and vaccine mandates. So this whole notion, oh, he wasn't the real hero. It was people like Christy Nome is a lie. Demonstrably false. But that's the thing. You know, here's the thing that we know about DeSantis. Let's say there's a big clamor in the world, and, and it's like it's a 90-10, every 90% of people are clamoring for something. We know that even if he feels pressure to give in at that moment, that if we have a right-wing movement that gives him information, he will listen to it. Whereas Trump, this is what is so scary. He won't even read the room now. I am genuinely shocked. I thought I would have to re-up re all of his fake promises from four years ago because I thought he'd run and promise the moon and everything. And he does that once in a while, like, you know, oh, I'll end birthright citizenship, so we have to remind people, well, he promised that before and didn't do it. But he's literally running to the left. That's what scares me. But what's even scarier is the fact that the conservative movement doesn't care. Just like they don't care about the legislative fights, they don't care about primaries, they don't care about anything of substance. Just know, it doesn't have to be this way. But I want to get back to the debt ceiling deal and bring on Chip Roy here. The Daily Beast has an article. It's a left-wing publication Dems try not to rub debt deal in GOP colleagues' face yet. Don't gloat. 
Don't brand the compromise legislation as a win. Don't brag about the spending cuts and policy changes Republicans failed to squeeze in. For Democrat lawmakers, that essential task isn't hard. Very few, if any, view the bill as a complete win. But many Democrats, even those who have been most vocally upset about the process and might still vote no, are having a hard time resisting the urge to stick it to Kevin McCarthy. After making lofty promises to his party to secure deep spending cuts and claw back Biden's legislative achievements, McCarthy is facing internal heat for falling short. Dozens of GOP lawmakers are promising to vote against the bill. And indeed, this is before 32 out of 49 Republicans voted no. Um, Progressives like Representative Greg Caesar of Texas said McCarthy came out looking like a total fool. Um, uh, Jamal Bauman from New York said the president kicked McCarthy's butt. It's hard to put a positive spin on basically a hostage situation, said Dan Kildee. I wouldn't want Kevin McCarthy negotiating for me, that's for sure. We had to give something to get out, but we didn't have to give as much as we would have otherwise given. This is a testament to how pathetic McCarthy is, Trump is, every single person who has a bigger megaphone and influence and audience than I do. They are pathetic losers. Because this is a movement that doesn't strive for, care about outcomes. Ha, Joe Biden fell. No, we fell. We stumbled. That dead carcass that can't stand up and wanders around and needs Secret Service to hold his hand, that man defeated all of your people, including Meta Twomp. But again, Trump is even worse than McCarthy because McCarthy, let's say, will get 10, 20% of these people to criticize him. Trump, zero. Zero. He will move everyone to the left. Again, he is like a neutralized, a uh, tolerating antibody, an IgG4 antibody like the COVID shots. It gets your system to tolerate like a Trojan horse, tolerate something harmful to it. And mark my words, watch out carefully. You could not get an issue that matters in the way it matters at the time it matters more than the fight against the rainbow jihad right now. Mark my words. Trump will screw us on that. He already did. They literally celebrated with it. There is a very disturbing circle of people, and it ties into, unfortunately, Carrie Lake. Her top two advisors are part of the log cabin Republicans. I don't understand what this gay business with Carrie Lake is, but she is his enforcer now and hopes to be his successor. This movement ain't going away unless we defeat it. It is pathetic. Pathetic, pathetic, pathetic. So folks, I'm not going to lie to you. I am exhausted. I'm emotionally drained by this. I think we all need guidance and prayers to even, where do, where do we go from here? We're all busy with, oh, Biden fell, Biden tripped, ha ha ha. Yeah, we tripped. That guy ate our lunch on every single policy. Again, the most successful presidency, even more than Obama, in terms of you know communist policy. And where are we? We are led by a bunch of buffoons all around from Trump to McCarthy to McConnell. Where do we go from here? Well, one person who's got to be more exhausted than me is Chip Roy. He's actually led this face-to-face 
Um, honestly, I told him he shouldn't run for office, but I think I was wrong. Uh, he's really been the face of this fight, a big inspiration. And I want to get more of an insider's view of what happened and where we're headed and if there's any hope down there because I'm, I'm pretty down. Hey, Chip, it's a tough, tough week, but uh, most of our colleagues don't seem to care. Well, Daniel, um, this coming Tuesday, what's the date? What will this Tuesday be? So that would be the, the, be the 6th. The D-day. 6th, June 6th, D-Day. So when those boys were jumping out of boats, waist deep into water, into a hail of bullets, did they know if they were going to be successful? No. When the 180-some sitting at the Alamo on the wall, they actually knew they were likely not going to succeed in that existing battle, and they, of course, didn't know what the outcome of the war would be because they knew they weren't going to necessarily even survive the battle at that point. The fact is, I, I am energized. I'm not tired. I am so energized because the American people responded. The conservative movement responded. We had 71 no votes in the House. We had 31 Republican Senate no votes. And by that, I meant those were Republican uh, no votes, 71 in the House. We had 29 Republican House members willing to cross leadership by voting against the rule. That's, of course, building on the 20 from January. So... Don't lose faith out there, listeners, because the the movement is growing, and that's actually what the leadership fears the most. There's a reason that they're trotting out the usual suspects to write their editorials in the Wall Street Journal. There's a reason they're trotting out all the talking points to try to flood the zone. Great win. There's a reason they've got Mitt Romney, of all people out there, trotting out to say, oh, those guys just like to make noise. They're not here to make law. Well, you know what, Mitt? I do want to make noise. I want to make a lot of noise because you and the rest of the Uniparty have been screwing this country over for as long as I can remember. And we're not going to continue to take it. That's what this is about. We had a great five months all following the script we laid out in January. The swamp, the Uniparty, and unfortunately, Speaker McCarthy and all those that, that were a part of it, they got off the plan. They, they got off the tracks we were on. And they all then cut a big deal. And that deal was a mistake. It was damaging. It was bad. And now we're going to have to deal with that next week, one way or the other. So here's my question to you. You know nobody has a lower regard for GOP leadership and the GOP in general than I do. Um, I, I have very low expectations. But even I was impressed that, you know, it looked like we actually had a pretty good run in the House. I was trying to temper expectations. I was saying, let's just get one transformational thing out of this that will at least show that we're willing to go through the brinkmanship, through the fake deadline, that will, you know, we're not going to get what I call the Fourth Reich issues. I knew we weren't, but I thought something, and then we would live to build the momentum into the appropriation fights, which I felt was a stronger leverage point. But yet, how did we get to a point where the polling was amazing, we had the momentum, the White House was actually scared, and we actually got absolutely nothing but worse than nothing because each provision is a bait and switch that gives the uh, the perception we got something so we don't have leverage to come back for more but we it's, it's literally a clean debt ceiling it is a clean debt ceiling albeit albeit 
it it ended our leverage to come back for more next year when Biden would likely be even more unpopular and we would likely have even more dangerous policies looming that we would be able to utilize this leverage to fight. How in the world did that happen? That was not on my radar. So a lot to unpack there. Let me give you the quick answer, the bumper sticker answer. Um, This was a terrible bill, a terrible deal. We all agree on that. Um, The answer to your question is the defense world, the defense complex. That's the answer. They they pull all the strings around the town, right? Um, That's what actually breaks the back of any effort we ever get to constrain, you know, fiscal uh, largesse and and the expansion of government. That's what happened here. You had 3% increase in defense. That wasn't good enough for the the Hawks, who then were resistant, and they weren't able to then use more leverage to get rid of non-defense because the defense Hawks didn't even think the 3% was good enough. So if, if I'm being defensive of Team McCarthy, it's that they faced that challenge, right? They faced dealing with those that would refuse to take all of these enormous wins because they are so beholden to the overall uh, defense complex. Now, but I, I want to add this point here, though, right? Th- th- let's, let's at least take credit for the fact that to the extent it will happen, which I don't think it will, but, but to the extent that it will happen, the CAPS do embrace $40 billion in decrease to non-defense discretionary, the federal bureaucracy. The only reason that that is the case is because of you and your listeners and conservatives and the 20 and those of us who held the line in January and fought through the Limit Save Grow Act, through all of the pain of that. The only reason that we're on this part of the field, even though it's not good enough, is because of us. Okay? So no one can lose heart, right? This is a war. We got to just, we got to keep our head up. But we got to remember what the score is, right? There was a general agreement, uh, and I'm not giving you the details of it. I, I don't want to talk about it in too many specifics, but everyone knows the gist. The whole point was 2022 spending levels, total top line spending levels. And that was not was what was agreed to. And to your point, when we had all the maximized, maximum leverage, when we were winning the polls, we capitulated. Democrats came in and impeached the president of the United States. What did we do? We came in, we passed a couple of good bills, thought we were heading in the right direction, but those bills don't matter if at the end of the day, you cut a deal yes. that empowers Biden and gives Democrats what they want. And that is what happened. So now there has to be a reckoning. And, and in order for there to be a reckoning, final point, I don't mean to filibuster, the truth has to be told about the bill. It has to be explained and exposed. People have to know that when they say it was a massive cut, that the truth is it was at best a two-year spending freeze, which only simply means we are spending less in the out years than we would have. They have to know that the work requirements they go around touting actually expanded, (laughs) expanded the cost of snap because they expanded the pool of people who it could apply to 
they have to know that the IRS restrictions were only 1.4 billion of the 80 billion. They have to know that the entirety of the Green New Deal from the Inflation Reduction Act stays fully in place. They have to know that we didn't get anything in terms of the RAINS Act pulling the regulatory state back. And when they tout administrative paygo as their response, oh, yeah, we got these. No, all waivable. And they've already said they will waive them. The American people need to know these things because I get tired and I particularly am tired, not of the Democrats, not even of the Mitt Romneys, but of people who trade on the name of the Freedom Caucus and who are willing to go along and accept this because it was, quote, the best we can do. I'm sorry. I, I hate not that. good enough. We're going to keep fighting. The low expectations drives me nuts. They have no belief in their views. 99% of your leverage comes in the final 1% of duration of a brinkmanship. And what scares me about this, we, yeah, I mean, because I had you on two weeks ago, and we knew some version of this was coming. But what scared me was I thought we would at least go through the debt prioritization bill, maybe some short term, you're, you know, which was an ideal. But this is the worst of all; it's the longest of long term. And they, and and Janet Yellen kept having to move the deadline because it was fake anyway. When I look at that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is not a more aggressive house like they say, a new day. This is the same old. They have not improved one iota because you go up to September 30th. Now it's like, well, you said you got the greatest spending cuts of all time. You're not going to fight for your appropriation bills, assuming they'll even write them in a way that will cut out the Fourth Reich issues, the you know FBI stuff and the tranny stuff and the vaccine stuff. I doubt they will. But even if they do, oh, my gosh, we can't have a shutdown. Even the farm bill. What I'm scared about is, oh, my gosh, we won't have food in America. It can't relapse. Or even like a reauthorization of FISA, anything. They're terrified of brinkmanship. That That's what I learned from this. They wouldn't even I, – I knew they would do something in the end. They wouldn't say, look, you know, we passed the bill. You didn't. They had all the leverage The um, on the underlying issues. It's not like we're trying to abolish Social Security or something. The polling is very good on it. Democrats were on defense. But they wouldn't even go up to the line as much as I think we did in 2011 during that fight. So my question to you is this, headed for number one, do you have any faith in the appropriations battle now? And number two, is it in fact true that this is a more aggressive conservative house that, that, than when you came into it? Um, unless we uh, are able to enforce the terms of, of our general agreement from the beginning of this year, uh, then the answer to those questions will be, I think, if I remember them correctly, uh, no, I am not confident about going in, into the appropriations process. And uh, no, it is not a dramatically different and more conservative house. Oh, great. However, I still believe, I still believe this is the difference. We have 20 plus now some others who stood with us because they saw the success of what we were accomplishing. Um, 29 voted against the rule. We have a growing group of people who are disaffected mm. with the direction of where we're headed. They get it. They see the same thing we see. Democrats came in. They impeached the president of the United States. They changed the narrative. With the same they narrow majority, in. by the way. They came in and went to absolute war with the Trump administration. We come in 
and we can't even use the weaponization committee that we got to do anything significant. We haven't impeached even Mayorkas. We're having to hold hearings to try <laughs> to make the case to a handful of Republicans that maybe we can possibly think about impeaching Mayorkas. We can't even, you know, we could, the one thing they campaigned on, frankly, more than I even cared about, they're like, the number one issue is defunding the IRS. I'm like, well, yeah. I hate the IRS. I want to defund it. Sign me up. Really? That's the number one issue, right? I think the number one issue is the fact that we can't even recognize man and woman. I think the number one issue is needles getting stuck in people's yes. arms and they lose their jobs. Cause, you know, but but you and I freedom. were willing to go for something transformational. Right. Give me one. Give me right. one thing. Right. One of the elements thing. of the GOP one. House pass build. We had the unity. No. This is so my so you're telling me that that from the original twenty, now we obviously had seventy one, really seventy two with Lauren, you know, she couldn't make it, uh votes against right. the bill. You're telling me that that next tranche over that really should have joined us last time might join us, you know, for a future endeavor? Well, there, there's increasing numbers who recognize the absurdity of this bill, right? Now, we got to keep working it. Like, people, they, you know, because here's what happened. We had one member who joined us, and that individual was being massively targeted by the establishment. They're saying, you're going to lose committee ships. You're going to lose the ability to move legislation. I have another friend of mine, a member, uh, who had legislation that, that that member was going to move next week, and the leadership came in and said, we're not going to move that, that legislation <laughs> next week. Now, that legislation, and I'm not making this public yet because I need to talk to the member, that legislation is extremely important legislation for the freedom of millions of Americans. But they're so petty, and they are so wrapped up in power, they don't give a rat's ass about the actual freedom that we're trying to fight for. That's the point, right? There was a Washington Post article this morning saying, quote, the House Freedom Caucus fizzles. They want to drive that narrative. The yep. Wall Street Journal wants to drive that narrative. Mitt Romney, all the political consultant class, they want to drive that narrative. I say, great, keep driving that narrative. You guys focus on the swamp. We're going to focus on the American people. We're going to fight for the plumber who right now is trying to just figure out how to put food on his table, is, is wondering why he's having to pay off the student loans of some idiot getting a gender studies degree in the basement of their parents on their 26-year-old insurance plan while they're getting, you know, while they're tweeting uh, uh, and, you know, uh, not actually adding value to society. That guy's sitting there going, what the hell? Like, I can't even afford how to live. I can't even afford the American dream. And we're fighting for that guy, right? We're fighting for Riley Gaines. We're fighting for the nurse who didn't take the jab. We're fighting for Scott Smith in Loudoun County. Now, I know there are some of my friends who didn't vote with us who are doing some really good things, and they remain my friends. But I'm, I'm going to continue to call, call balls and strikes on this stuff. They don't get a hall pass because they did something great five years ago. They don't get a hall pass because they occasionally – are with us on some issue. I don't care. When it's game time, you're either getting out of the boats, walking onto the beach at Normandy, or you're not. And it was game time this week. And a lot of people who should have been there weren't. But the good news is a lot of people did join. They did. They got it. They saw it. And let me tell you something. The conservative movement that got energized last week, they made it happen. I tell you guys, you have the power. 
Do not despair. When you speak up, we win. You have to speak up. What are you going to do? Curl up in a ball? You're just going to go cry in the corner? Or, or are we going to keep elevating the temperature? Keep fighting? Or are we just going to say, oh, sorry, I guess the Uniparty wins? Oh, we, we moved the needle and we were winning for five months demonstrating conservatism can work. We just got knocked off this last week because they cut a bad deal. Or do we go back and say, nope, this is what was winning. This is what we demand. So, I don't know what the next leverage point is, Daniel, but I promise you, I promise you, I'm not just going to walk off and go, okay, yeah, you guys win. Just keep, keep spending money we don't have. Oh, great. We'll help you claim victory. We'll help you message that this is the greatest bill ever. Bull. We're not doing that. Let's get, get back on the horse. Well, I think the Senate vote kind of uh, changes that because you literally had a supermajority of Republicans voting no and all but six Dems voting yes. So it's it's a complete joke. And I think it also speaks to your point about pressure. The, the Senate GOP is materially more liberal than the House GOP, yet the vote tally was much better there. It just demonstrates because they didn't have the pressure um, – you know, because it wasn't it wasn't a Senate negotiated or a Senate GOP negotiated bill. So, again, it just shows you know the. Yeah. You know, there's another important part of that. And I'm sorry, filibuster. This is your show. And I'm sorry. to your No, audience. people want to hear from you. Um, this is important. Understand how the dynamics going to play out. Right. There were 31 no votes by Republicans in the Senate. 17 yes votes, one not voting. They're not going to want to focus on that because obviously it was lopsided. But there's a second reason, because it gives up the game. Look at some of the no votes. Lindsey Graham, right? Tom Cotton, who's a friend of mine. Um, Marco Rubio, who's a friend of mine. Who didn't spend enough on the military in Ukraine. (laughs) Who who, who are sometimes – some of those guys are good on fiscal stuff. Some of them are uh, not because of defense. Or whatever. And I go down the list. I don't really pick out names. I, I really just wanted to say there are, and I think there's three or four or five others that are kind of more tendency to be pro defense. And so if you're a fiscal conservative and you want to limit spending, you're trying to balance this. So, like, you know, um, you know, I work with a lot of different guys in the Senate for different issues. Marco's great, for example, on all of the hitting the defense on the woke stuff. We put out a report last year on it. And, and it's actually a good voice on some of the fiscal stuff, too, at times. But the defense stuff, right, there's a reflex right now. And we're trying to balance that. And what I'm, I'm making this point here is that the, the, the people pushing this bill, they're not going to want to have that discussion. Because I'd like to have that discussion. I would. I'd like to have a discussion about where we get the defense money. Because I'd like to say, look, guys, if we want that 3% or 5% or 6% more in defense, that needs to come out of non-defense. That's how we set up the fight. But these guys didn't. They set it up and they said, nope, we're going to have defense. It's going to go up 3%. And, yep, we're going to reduce non-defense. We're going to cut this deal. Yep. But guess what they're doing? They're backfilling the non-defense. And, and, and there's nothing they're new about hope- that. I mean, yep. Trump himself, when he signed the worst legislation in Republican trifecta history in March 2018, he said it was because of the defense stuff that he felt compelled to. And this is this is going to be the kryptonite. It's it's funny how conventional Trump is. You know, the more people talk about how nuanced and you know you know different he is, he's actually extremely conventional when it comes to the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. And that brings me to the final point here with um the speaker's fight so 
obviously you guys are going to look towards a reckoning and you're not going to divulge that as you shouldn't because you have to do it at the most auspicious time in the most successful way. But I'll never forget Trump dumped on us, supported McCarthy, all of Trump's minions because they, it's monkey see, monkey do. Had he you know, been against McCarthy, they would have all been for what you guys were doing. But all these guys, the thumb suckers, what, what are you doing? What's that? What's the end go? Show, show me the strategy. <laughs> so it, it, McCarthy already gave you so much. And what they didn't realize was uh, there's been a lot of ambiguity reported in the media about what was told to you and what agreement about the rules committee. And, and these that kind of gray area is the difference between success and failure on bills like this. And we were just about hashing that out. As you're, but 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 the people that should have been helping were fragging us. How much did Trump pr- play a role in in this outcome? Well, if you go back to December, um, it was very clear. Uh, remember, right? You have members like Matt Rosendale, right, who's on the floor of the House getting a phone call, being pressured by Trump, and apparently, I guess Trump's still mad at Rosendale about this because <laughs> Rosendale was like pound saying, man. This this is what I'm trying to do. This is what I think is important. Um, and this was a constant thing going on, like phone calls being made. You've got to do this. And those of us who didn't blink, we're the reason that some things changed. Now, I would note that there are members of the Freedom Caucus and others who love to trade on all the conservatism they're allegedly, you know, accomplishing. Yeah. It was off your backs. Were MIA, they, who were totally MIA when it mattered. <laughs> In January. And guess what? They were totally MIA when it mattered this time. So I just want everybody out there to listen. Like, figure out who's with you when it matters. Figure out whether or not you think. And and so I'd go back to the the question about, was it helpful that the former president was calling members on the floor of the House in real time saying, go cut a deal? Hell no, that wasn't helpful. And I can tell you this much, as we were heading out into this fight, this week, and we were looking at the deal as it came out over Memorial Day weekend. That's no accident, by the way. They cut the deal over Memorial Day weekend when everybody was out of town. It's a purpose swamp trick. Um, who was right out of the gate on Monday morning on Fox and Friends saying that this was a lousy deal? Governor Ron DeSantis. No, you're not allowed to talk about him. He does, he does not fear the swamp. No, no, he but on this show, you're not allowed fear. to talk about Ron DeSantis because it might make someone angry. So what he did in Florida doesn't exist. It's no longer good. We liked it before, but but now we don't like it anymore. Well, so so you, I'm glad you brought up Ron. Here, here's the thing. I obviously like Ron. You, you were the first one to endorse him. But my question to you is, I've made the case that Ron will be a tailwind to our causes, whereas Trump, as we just discussed, is often a headwind, either on policy, personnel, endorsement, primaries, you know, the RNC chair or speaker. Okay. But even if you get Ron DeSantis as president, even if you get me or you as president, could you even fix this stupid with with the McConnell-McCarthy business? I mean, this is my problem when I looked at we can't this bill was so horrendous and we only got less than a third of Republicans to vote against it. Yes, it was more than the Democrats, but would it even matter if DeSantis is president? Yes, and here's why. How you set the tone matters. There's a reason the Florida legislature 
is pushing and pushed and moved through in two different legislative sessions. Awesome stuff. There's a reason for that. And it's not because suddenly the legislature just saw the light, right? (laughs) No legislature just wakes up and goes, oh, I'm conservative now. That doesn't happen. Somebody has to force it. Somebody has to demonstrate that you can win with it. Now, the thing that bothers me a little bit, if I just digress, we were demonstrating that it was winning. We passed two great bills, overwhelmingly popular, right? The American people are with us. Biden's numbers are going down. And we, so we were winning. So let's remember, take a step back. That's good. We demonstrated that it worked. That's why we're moving the numbers. That's why the movement was excited again. Don't back off of that. We will find another footing. We're going to keep swinging. You need someone like the governor in the White House to challenge things here and to drive Congress to make the right decisions. And here's the key distinction. I want to give credit where credit is due. President Trump came in and challenged the status quo, challenged the order. That was his core strength, and it was awesome. Look, we can, you and I can go back and think about all the things that were really strong and awesome, and you're like, God, man, that's great. I'm glad he's saying that. That's impressive. And it's like everybody talked about moving the embassy to Jerusalem. He did it. Like, you know, everybody talked to it. Go down the list of things. That, you know, uh, he nominated somebody that, you know, you didn't really care. It's fine. They're pro-life. Okay, whatever. All great stuff. But then when you get down to the, the wire when you're dealing with Congress, mm. You got to be willing to look at them and you got to be willing to say, no, 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 here's what we're going to do. And that is what Governor DeSantis has proven he's willing to do. So Paul Ryan in 2018, let's not go push lousy border security bills. Let's not go push lousy health care, Obamacare light bills. Let's not continue to spend into oblivion. They were in the driver's seat. Congress, right. That's what we saw the entire time to say no. You know, when when Trump said in Iowa recently, it is what it is. I looked at his facial expression and and that the reason why it resonated so much with me is because that's literally how he was when he was president. What what would happen was the last days it already passed the House, the Senate. And finally, like 20 percent of conservative gun flappers would finally wake up from their slumber, you know, focused on stupidity and like, yeah, it's kind of a really bad bill. Mr. President, you should veto it. He'd feel a little bit of pressure. He'd kind of like consider it, but then all you he would always sign it, you know, but it was like he was yeah. never driving. And then and then that that's himself. But then you get to the per- personnel issue, too, which is a separate issue. Steven Mnuchin, his Treasury secretary, literally crafted them from day one. It wasn't just like, OK, he didn't veto it. Um, and that that's really where he fell down, whereas DeSantis seems to be obsessively focused on the mission. There were even some media hits on him, how he was mean and, and played hardball with some of these Republicans. Like, you know what you're there for, buddy. You better pass this. Like, could you picture that? In other words, what I'm asking you is this. You know the roster of what's there, at least in the House. Would that would that sort of pressure work on, on those members? Which kind of pressure in particular? Pressure from if you had a guy like DeSantis, let's say, in the Oval Office saying, this is what I need you to do. I need you to not pass any bill, you know, raising the debt ceiling unless it does this. I need the budget bills to have, here are my red lines. Sure. So, uh, okay. I just meant in general. I didn't know if you meant something specific. Yeah, I mean, of course. Like, look, 
when the president of the United States comes in, and, and I believe that it's important to have a mandate that you can't limp in, you know, with a with a mar- narrow margin victory. And I think if the president of the United States comes in and he says, all right, first hundred days, here's what I'm doing. And he 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 says this is what I'm doing. They'll do it. What happened in January of 2017 is an embarrassment. Paul Ryan and the Senate Republicans, and then in the end, John McCain, they were the ones who were deciding what was going to happen on health care, not the White House. The White House should have come in and said, look, I'm going to tell you exactly what you're going to do. You're going to do this, or I'm going to light you on fire, right? You come in and say, you give me a border bill that doesn't actually secure the border and gives me any amnesty, you're not going to run for reelection. Understood? Like, look, that's what you have to do as a president. Come in and lead. And look, you're Article 1, and you go, sorry, Mr. President, pound sand. All right, flex that muscle. But these gutless fools in Congress have been shoveling power to the executive branch for decades. Do you think these spineless losers (laughs) are going to stare down the president of the United States if the president goes, you're going to do this? No. No, and, 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 and that's what was absent the entire time. And people have very short memories, but unfortunately Trump is demonstrating this on the campaign trail where he's not making the play calls. He could use his voice and clout, but instead he used it against us. And I felt you guys were rushed an extra day or two, and that didn't allow us to seal the deal on the weaponization committee exactly the way it should have been structured and several other things. And that was a big legacy of of the man himself and some of his minions that were dispatched to uh to 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 promote it. And again, like I I I happen to like Kevin McCarthy as a human being. I really have nothing against him. We've been trying to really say good things for four or five months. I'm genuinely I, I think we we just all feel hurt by it. We thought we were united. We we're like as, as soon as the speaker's th- deal was up, like, okay, we got what we wanted, let's unite. I mean, that is that really concerns me where it's headed, and I, I have trust in you that yeah. um, you're going to assess that. Look, Daniel, I, I share that same sentiment, um, and, and I, I look, I am eternally optimistic as a human. Next week, <laughs> I want to sit down. Um, I like Kevin. I like uh, Garrett Graves, uh, actually, enormously. Um, and really, a great working relationship, working with him, Patrick McHenry, um, others. In my opinion, they just made the wrong calculation. I told them, if you take too early of an exit ramp, it's going to blow up. I told them, you're almost certainly cutting a deal we can't support. The question is whether you're cutting a deal that we can't support, but that we can tolerate. If you don't at least cut a deal that we can tolerate, it's going to divide us. You have to come talk to us. And in the end, they cut a deal and told us, this is a great deal, quote unquote. You've got to take it because we decided it's a great deal. Well, I'm sorry, you all don't get to decide it's a great deal. We sit down and look at the deal, and then we make a decision about how much we're willing to say, okay, you're telling me that's the best you can do. Let me tell you how I'm going to respond to it. But we weren't able to have that conversation that way. Well, Daniel, look, brother, you got to keep your head up, and all your listeners got to keep your head up. We moved the needle. We just took a little bit of a pushback. We're getting back on the horse. You got it? All righty, we're going to keep riding, keep fighting for us. And folks, we're out of time. Let me know your questions for Chip Roy. Told next week. God bless you all, and thank you for listening.